This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, September 2nd, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. Property rights are often viewed as an enemy of conservation, but ownership allows us to value what we own in terms of how others might value our possessions as well. And others can hold us liable for damage done to their possessions. Holly Fretwell of the Property and Environment Research Center argues that property rights are key to creating markets in conservation. We spoke in July in Bozeman, Montana. Property rights and property to one's individual self is probably the most fundamental property right that we have that allows people self-determination, allows them to choose for themselves and make decisions for themselves, uh, also suffering the consequences of those decisions. Um, And there is one sort of caveat in that doing no harm onto other individuals would be a part of that property right as well. So what does that have to do with conservation? I mean, self-ownership is is important. Uh, Most libertarians believe that you own yourself and you're responsible for making Uh, taking care of yourself in a way, but what does that have to do with, uh, like, preserving land or water or timber or wildlife? Property rights to self is is the fundamental right, but it is the beginning of all those rights that are really going to motivate and incentivize individuals to be good stewards of land, assets, uh, water, other resources, and encouraging them to actually be a conservationist, even if somebody doesn't like conservation or isn't interested in conservation. As long as we have clear property rights, individuals will respond considering not only their own individual ideas and and preferences, but others' uh, preferences as well. So how do we see that play out uh, practically? Uh, We see that play out practically when we think about uh, actually being able to trade our resources or able to trade um, our lands and assets. Because if I own something and I can't trade it, then I'm going to take care of it just for my own self-benefit. But if I can actually trade it, then I'm going to start to think about how other people value that right or that asset. And keep that in mind. And and if somebody has a higher valued use for something than I actually have, uh, and I can trade it to them, then I'm going to take care of it for that purpose. So for example, I own four and a half acres. Um, I have this this beautiful pasture, but I'm, I'm not really a horse person, so I don't have horses in the pasture. But suddenly somebody comes to me and says, boy, I would actually be willing to pay you to put my horses in here. And then I realized that not only would they pay me to put the horses in there, but they would pay me more if I had a horse barn and a, and a place for them to put their tack and a place for them to keep their feed. So suddenly I'm putting up a, a horse barn and other facilities for these horses when I don't really want a horse at all. But now I'm realizing the value that other people have for my property in addition to the value that I have for my property. And and a lot of the property rights that uh, you talk about at PERC, uh, they ex- can exist in piecemeal fashion. That is, you can sell a conservation easement on a piece of property uh, and uh, you can reap some benefits from that. Uh, you can sell uh, development rights to a piece of property that you otherwise own. Yes, we see property rights sort of as a bundle of sticks is how many people often talk about it. But we can think of those bundles of sticks as the privileges you have to use on your property or to do things with your property and some of the restrictions, things that you can't do on your property. But there are a couple of of sticks in that bundle that are really key to have secure property rights so that markets will function well. And to start with, you really need to 
be able to define your property. This, this is what I own. I know what I own. You respect what I own. So it's also defendable in the sense that you can't just come take it away from me without some repercussion. So I have this defendable property right. I can exclude others from that property um, or allow them on as I, as I wish. Uh, so I don't end up with this, with a tragedy of the commons where everybody's coming onto my property and taking things, but I can't exclude them. Uh, example there being I have a beautiful garden, wonderful flowers. And every time somebody walks by, if they, if they pick my roses, I'm, I'm not going to invest in continuing to, to grow those roses if everybody's always picking them. So I have this excludability and that uh, also that, that tradeability that we were just talking about is, is really important so that I do realize the, the other uses of my property and other people's values. And finally, that, that I'm also liable for any harm done. Um, if I'm polluting on somebody else in the way I use my property, then I need to be responsible for that. And we need to make sure that we have that accountability. And if you have all those sticks in your bundle of property rights, then markets will work really well to motivate people to be good stewards of their assets and of their property and, and to be um, essentially conservationists if that is the highest valued use um, according to society, not just to the individ individual, but according to everybody that has some um, interest in what that property or asset might look like. A lot of people uh, have the view that essentially there is but one way to protect uh, wildlife, to protect natural beauty, and that is to uh, turn private lands into public lands. And I find that very problematic. If we actually look at how our public lands are being managed, they're not being managed very well. We have a huge deferred maintenance problem on our public land agencies. Uh, in fact, if you put the, the four agencies together, the Forest Service, Bureau of Land Management, Fish and Wildlife Service, and the National Park Service, there's over $18 billion in deferred maintenance. And when you go to these lands, you can, you can see them. We have problems with infrastructure that's failing. We have sewer systems that are failing. So the, the idea that turning our private lands that are being well uh, cared for now under private land management and turning them over to the to the public land agencies to expect that we're going to get better management is is a romantic idea it's it's the, the evidence shows us something quite different and it's it's not because our public land managers don't care because they care tremendously but it's based on the incentives and and the rules and regulations that they have to abide by that they simply do not have the ability to do to be better land stewards so we're uh, speaking in Bozeman Montana the home of of your organization uh and outside of Bozeman it's there's a tremendous pathway for elk to move uh, through the United States, and they move what hundreds, thousands of miles. They move hundreds of miles, and uh, the area that we live in, we call it the Greater Yellowstone Ecosystem because it's the area that's surrounding Yellowstone, and there's lots of migration, wildlife migration pathways that that cross through um, our our region, and the elk travel hundreds of miles, the, the deer, the antelope, they all travel hundreds of miles in different directions coming in and out and across public and private lands. They spend a lot of their summer in the highlands, which often is public land, but they spend most of their winter time uh, in on, on the private landscapes. And they, they cross many of the private landscapes in these corridor pathways, as we call them. And then they actually overwinter on private lands as well. And there certainly is an impact from those wildlife, which are essentially public wildlife. The states actually manage wildlife and the individuals that are putting up with these wildlife literally are putting up with them and, and helping provide them with, with habitat. And right now we see really healthy uh, migration pathways. All right. But it, as you mentioned, they're crisscrossing through public and private lands. 
And a private landowner can easily put up a fence and prevent that migration. Sure. And, and so some private landowners do. But what we're actually finding is that private landowners oftentimes enjoy having the wildlife on their land, even at a cost. And we have a lot of conservation groups that are trying to motivate private landowners to be better stewards for wildlife and are actually helping those private landowners uh, put up what we call wildlife-friendly fencing. Uh, you need a fence um, that's not too low to the ground because antelope will go underneath the fence. And if it's too too low, they get caught in the, in the wires underneath. And then you need it low enough on top so that the deer can actually jump over the top. And we have a number of groups that are saying, hey, we really want these wildlife to go through these pathways. And so we are going to work with the private landowner in, in allowing this sort of exchange to take place and help motivate them to be better stewards because that's what we see as higher valued uses. And the landowners are willing to negotiate with uh, with conservation groups to do that oftentimes. Um, and when they're not, then then um, Animals are actually um, have the ability to move in different directions, and and right now what we're seeing is some really good management. It's the future that uh, might be more of a concern if we start to see additional development. So we want to be sure that we are um, working with landowners and and understanding their concerns and their hurdles and their challenges, so that when they do feel the need to change the um, what they're doing on that landscape, we have the ability to make some exchanges and some trades and use that part of the the private marketplace and the private property rights to negotiate so that we see both a benefit for the, the landowner in what their needs are and also for the wildlife um, as, as it comes from the basically conservation groups that are looking to help protect those pathways. I've heard humans described as in, an invasive species before, and uh, but humans also have this capacity to appreciate things that, uh, you know, animals don't. And protecting uh, wildlife protecting, uh, you know, the, the pathways for elk and, and other animals to roam freely is a pretty substantial uh, lift, especially if you have to work with individual landowners. And a lot of people just don't, just don't get the notion, uh, or I should say, I think they have a, a pretty poor attitude of most people's view of nature to begin with. I think it's important for people to understand that, that Property doesn't have rights. People have rights to property. And that becomes really important when we're thinking about how we're going to uh, protect nature. There are some individuals out there that think nature has rights and therefore there just are these living rights for nature so that we should take care of nature. But bottom line is that as humans, we respond to incentives. And if we have rights over things, then we will care for them better. And if we just assume that everybody's going to do what they should, um, then we're likely to see some individuals out there not taking care of the, of the landscape. We want to make sure that, uh, stu that stewardship, that wildlife assets, landscapes um, are seen as an asset instead of a liability. And if we have this ownership right over things, then we tend to take better care of those things because we as the individuals are the ones that get the better value out of that. And I think it's really important that people understand that it is only through human behavior that we are going to see some sort of conservation when there are people on the landscape. And so we are the ones that need to be sure that we're understanding what are the better uses and that we're encouraging stewardship. And the best way to encourage that stewardship is through these secure rights so that we're motivating people to be good stewards. 
Holly Fretwell is a research fellow at the Property and Environment Research Center in Bozeman, Montana. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.